My guest today on Mission Impact is Amanda Kaiser. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. Amanda and I talk about engaging members, especially in today's shifting realities. We explore why organizations need to shift from solely focusing on the value they provide and give equal emphasis on the experience they're creating. Why focusing on how people are feeling at each stage of engagement is so important and some simple things folks can do to improve the experience of their members and volunteers. Welcome, Amanda. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thanks, Carol. It's so great to be here. So I'd like to start out with a question around um, what drew you to the work that you do? What would, what would you say motivates you and what would you describe as your why? Oh, that's really interesting. I feel like as a as a recovering marketer, I need to have that one pithy sentence, but I don't. I'm going to go on a quick ramble here. And um, so I, I, uh, my career journey is kind of really squiggly like everybody else's. And, and I started out at Crayola and then eventually moved into my people, which is the association community and, and uh, worked as a director of marketing for a national association and, and loved it. And while I was there, I, um, I wanted to do a bunch of member research and we didn't have the budget. And the, the CEO at the time said, well, you call our members and you talk to them, which I was really afraid of doing at the time. But the more the more I talked to our members and interviewed them, the more I started actually loving the work. So I opened a qualitative research agency for associations and uh, conducted about 477 interviews, about 33 research projects and um, and love that. But the thing that kept drawing me was the importance of member engagement. So every single conversation, no matter the the type of association, the the you know the whether it's professional or trade and where people were at their career level, but every conversation kept coming back to member engagement. And the more I thought about it, the, the more I wanted to just move into what is member engagement, how. How, why it doesn't work sometimes and why it does work sometimes. And, and that's, that, that's kind of my, sorry, that was a lot longer than a short squiggly answer. That was a long squiggly answer. Well, our careers are long, are long and squiggly. At least mine yes. has been. So yes. definitely appreciate that. And I mean, building on that interest in, in member engagement, you recently published a book called Elevating Engagement, Uncommon Strategies for Creating a Thriving Member Community. What would you say are some of the common mis mishaps or mistakes that you see organizations making when it comes to their member engagement? Yeah, so I don't think that associations are alone in this. I think it's happening at organizations and just about you know every single industry you can imagine from the really, really big ones to the really, really small ones. And that is, uh, so there's a, there's a formula for engagement and the formula is value plus experiences equals engagement. And for decades now, I think we've been all banging the drum on value. We've got to have the right value proposition. Our value has to change with our members' needs. We need to be able to communicate value. We need, you know, everything's value, value, value. And man, we've all been leaning into that really hard. And the thing that is the biggest opportunity for us now is to start um, 
I don't know, imbuing experiences into all of that wonderful value. So, um, so yes, where, where I think the biggest opportunity is for associations and not just associations, everybody, but associations we're talking about today is, is to really start punching up the creating of positive experiences for our members. And I, I have folks who are in more kind of traditional nonprofits as well as associations in the audience. And I think, but I think the same um, uh, principles really apply of, you know, maybe you have a membership program, but maybe it's, um, you know, your, your, your volunteers that you're trying to engage or, or different constituencies that you're trying to engage and, and thinking about those um, in different ways. Can you say you, you talked about um, the kind of equation of value plus experience. Um, and I can imagine, you know, thinking about of my experience of being inside organizations, yeah, it was all about, you know, what, what, you know, what's the next conference going to look like? Who's speaking? Um, what's the next white paper that we're publishing? What's the next course that we're rolling out in terms of uh, workshops or training or e-learning? And so very focused on content delivery, on knowledge, um, helping people increase their skills, their knowledge. Um, and I think I was on the learning side when I was inside organizations. So we did approach experience somewhat from the lens of trying to in, in incorporate adult learning principles into the whole thing, but I I don't know that we put it front and center. So I'm curious how you see, like, how is that different? How how would people know if we're gonna have those be more equal? Um, what is leaning into experience look like? Yeah. So everything you just mentioned is critically important. You know, we, we need to have the, you know, the learning and we need to have the keynote and we need to have the hotel and we need to have all of that. When I'm talking about experience, there's, um, so let's just, cause we we're talking about events. So let's, let's just talk about one of those places where you can add an experience that maybe people get. And sometimes maybe people don't get, it might be inconsistent. And that is at the registration table. So, uh, if, you know, for really big conferences, there's, you know, huge registration booths and like a whole lot of lines. And then for maybe a small conference or a chapter event, you see the registration table. And sometimes when we're working behind the registration table, we're trying so hard to get people their badges and their bags and their, and their uh, programs really quickly that we just, we're just, you know, we're doing the transaction. We're just trying to, you know, get everybody served. And, and the experience part of it is, is can you, can you do it with some small talk? And if you can't even do it with some small talk, that's totally okay. Can you at least do it with a smile? So that, you know, that's, that's one example of how you just add in an experience in the course of doing everything else that you're doing. And there's, there's other things, you know, uh, associations and nonprofits, they do have these fleets of volunteers, whether you call them a volunteer or not. And, and so another thing that you could that you could do that's relatively easy is you could say to your speakers, you know, let's say you've got 50 speakers. Well, for the time that they're at the podium or on the stage, in, in a way, they're sort of speaking for the association and you can say to them, hey, we've got a member culture or we're trying to have a member culture that is open and generous and kind and enthusiastic and energetic and can can you can you try to model that 
you know, just try to, you know, keep those, keep those adjectives, keep those emotions in, in your brain. And as you're speaking, just try to model that. And, and I think a lot of your speakers would, and that's just, you know, one, one more way that, that you can add some experiential stuff into the stuff that you're already doing. Well, and you named having a member culture and people and someone being able to name even what their intention is around that. And I don't, I just wonder how many organizations have even spent any time thinking about what kind of member culture do they want to cultivate? Yeah. Yeah. So we're all about talking about st staff culture, but communities have cultures too. Uh, members right. definitely have cultures too. I think there's a, there's a couple of ways to, to get at that. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to sit back and say, okay, so at each of the member stages, how do we want our members to feel? And so, you know, you can, you can do this at a staff meeting, you can do it at a board meeting, you can say, you know, hey, uh, new members are joining and at the one year mark, uh, how do we want them to feel? Or the day after they join, how do we want them to feel? Um, and and that the answering that question will will start to help you get not only at that the experience but also at the culture part of it because because in order for our members to have the feelings that we want them to feel you know likely there's there's a you know there's a, a culture that is supporting that you know and um, I, I guess some 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 examples of when I when I first glommed onto this culture idea was when I did a bunch of research with chapters. So chap members of chapters. And the one story that kept coming back to me over and over and over and over again is, I'm a brand new member and I decided to go to my very first chapter meeting. And I I walked into the room and, and, all, and it hadn't, you know, the event hadn't started yet. And everybody was sort of like clustered at the front talking and I didn't know anybody and I was so awkward and it just felt so ugh. and I, you know, I so I found a seat and tried not to, you know, appear like I was listening in on their conversations and I just it was, I just never went back. And and so that's it's kind of a culture -y thing. The new member is perceiving clickishness and it's probably not happening at all. Uh, but, but, you know, had there been a culture of welcoming a new face and introducing them around, then that kind of thing wouldn't have happened. Right. I mean, the people who are all catching up with each other at the front of the room who haven't seen each other for a month or whatnot, um, aren't thinking that they're being exclusionary or that they're coming off as cliquish, but the fact that they didn't have, you know, and so a simple thing I would imagine that, that they could have done would be to intentionally have someone or some several someones kind of on the lookout for new people to be able to you know welcome them you know introduce them to people but yeah i think just having that intention um and and you talked about also the the you know the kind of assembly line that going to a big conference or even a you know like you said even a small conference there's often that volunteer or or person whoever's doing the managing is much more worried about did i get everything in the stuff that i'm supposed to hand to them versus i'm interacting with a person you know they're nervous about being here how can i make that experience kind of a little more um enjoyable welcoming um helping them navigate that that first uh, interaction yeah yeah it in you know another way to think about it is it's a transition so so your member is coming in off the street and maybe they just flew all day and they had to catch a taxi and they're, or maybe they had a, dr a drive through downtown Washington DC and, and they're just frazzled. 
And so, so sometimes it's kind of helpful to think like, oh, you know, let's help them make that transition from being, you know, perhaps grumpy or at least super tired and frazzled to, you know, being ready to be their best self when they go ahead and enter our event. Yeah, definitely. So having some empathy for where they've been or kind of putting putting yourself in in their shoes and and you talked about the stages kind of of a of a member journey. Um what what are some of those and and what are those key points where, you know, or organizations can do a better job of of creating the culture that they probably do think that they are creating or want to create. Yeah. Yeah, so so I identified six stages of the member journey, and the first stage is to observe. And so at that point, members join, and what they're doing is they're looking at everything. They're looking at your websites, they're looking at your emails, they might read a short article or watch a video, and they're just, they're just taking everything in. The second stage is assess. And so at that point, you know they're taking a lot in, and they're starting to ask themselves this question, and that question is, is this the community of people like me? Is this for me? Am I gonna be proud to be here? Do I think sometime in the future, I'm gonna feel like I belong, like I found friends, like I found colleagues? The third stage is participate. And so at this stage, they've, they've kind of answered that question like, oh yeah, there's a lot of potential here and I want to be here. And so they dip their toe in the water and they participate. And it's just a little thing. They might come to a virtual event and write a little note in the chat. They might yeah, write in a comment on social media or on an article. It's just a little dipping the toe in the water. Contribute is another stage, and that's when they're ready to start bringing much more of themselves. And so your contributor contributors are, they're your speakers, they're your writers, they're the people you're interviewing. They might do short videos for you. They're all of those folks. And an under leverage stage is collaborate. So as we advance in our careers, we start bumping up against thorny, hairy problems, you know, really difficult problems to solve, problems that uh, that just they they just kind of keep um, showing up year after year after year. And what folks at that stage of their careers like to do is they like to get together with others and problem solve. They don't necessarily want to listen to this sage on the stage anymore. They want to work together and problem solve. And so sometimes associations lose their members at that stage because they're not necessarily offering a lot of problem solving activities. And so those that group that's really invested in solving a problem might splinter off. And then the final stage is lead and lead is what I would think of as your typical volunteers, however you define them. But in the book, there's a lot of folks that want to lead. They want to volunteer, but they can't volunteer in the shape of the volunteer box that you've put them in. And so I talk a lot about how you open up volunteerism to a lot more people who are really ready to step into that role. So, so at each stage, you, you know, you ask that question of like, you know, where, where are the barriers um, that associations should be on the lookout for? And, and what I try to do in, in the book is, is really identify uh, when people make the, the no-go decision to engage and when people make, and why people make the, the yes decision to engage. And so, so it's a little bit different at every single uh, stage. However, the, the through line running through it all is, Usually it's an experiential thing. Uh, you, usually um, there's something going on where people kind of stand back and they say, oh, oh no, I, I don't feel like I belong here. 
I don't feel like these are my people. Even if, even if everybody has my title, there's still a million ways that you can think these are not my people. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't feel like my contributions are, um, you know, wanted, I don't feel supported. And then the, the reverse is true. So the reason why people stay is because they say, oh, this is my community. I am super proud to be here. I, I want to collaborate. I want to give my time. I want to give my ideas. My ideas are valued. I'm supported, you know, and all of those wonderful things. What are some of those things? Um at the at the very kind of beginning stages that observe and assess um and i'm i'm it, i love that question and i didn't fully write it down but is this the community well where well i feel like i belong um and just thinking about all the different groups that i've been part of and associations that i've joined and then dropped out of um i don't think that i ever necessarily you know, said that specifically, but it certainly if looking back on the ones that I'm no longer participating in, um, it would be that sense of uh, even after trying, still feeling kind of on the outside. Um, so that that's such an interesting and of course, you know, there's so much conversation now uh, in the, you know, brought more broadly around inclusion and and how people either feel included or not. Um, but yeah, just that kind of experience, um, felt sense of these are my folks or these are not my folks, uh, is pretty visceral. It is, it is. And it, and it's quick. It's, you know, you, I, I, you, you start to, uh, you observe and you assess super, super quickly. And that's what members talk about. One of, one of the, the things that was a real big surprise for me is when I worked for an association, there was, there's was kind of this, this thought that you had a year to engage them before they made the decision to renew. But in my my research, what I'm finding is they make the decision to engage and then consequently the decision to renew really quickly, maybe as quickly as three days, maybe as quickly as three weeks. But it's it's within those first couple of touches that they're making the decision to renew, which which is pretty amazing. But I, I know what you're talking about. So when I first started this business and started my speaking career, I felt like I needed to do some brushing up and I decided to join Toastmasters. And there's three clubs in my local area. And somewhere along the way, somebody said, hey, go to all of the clubs and just figure out which one you like. And, um, and they were all fine, but the one that I went to had the very best new member experience. So I showed up for the very first time and they had a welcomer at the door and that person chit chatted with me and asked me why I was there and what my speaking goals were. And then they took me 10 feet and showed me the bagel and juice table. And then they walked me another 10 feet and found me an empty seat and it introduced me to the person right next to me. And then that person, you know, took it away and, and asked me more questions. And and there was there was no none of that like, oh, awkward. How do I fit? Where do I go? What do I do? How do I fit in? None of that. They 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 took care of it all. It's it's and it's and it's really interesting how quickly you can say, oh yeah, the, these these are these folks are great. They're gonna be my friends. Yeah, and it's amazing how that act of um i've been at so many events and i've probably been guilty of this myself where somebody asked me a question i'm a staff person and i'm like oh it's over there versus oh let me take you over there and make sure that you you know you find it yeah. and that 
what will probably be three minutes or five minutes, depending on how far the thing is away, um, makes such a difference because then you're you're arm in arm with the person, you're next to them, you're 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 with them on their journey, and they feel supported. Yes, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some things that, so we've been talking a lot about events and of course, um, things have changed a lot around events. Not every, not everything's in person these days. Um, I'm, I'm actually finding that I'm doing a lot more of my networking, uh, through the zoom screen, uh, than, than I am, uh, in an in-person event, but, um, what are other ways that organizations can create that sense of welcome, um, outside of events in that critical kind of beginning period? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question because I love virtual events. I know I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh no, Zoom fatigue, one more Zoom. But but for me, I love presenting, I love interacting, I love, I love being in the virtual room just as, as much as I love being in person. So I got together during the deep dark doldrums of COVID with my partners Matchbox Virtual Media and we can we we ran a series called the Virtual Networking Incubator and there's actually at the end we wrote a report that talks about how do you make really engaging virtual meetings and then we wanted to take you know that environment that was you know so difficult in virtual to do really good virtual networking and then apply it back in person. So now that we've done it in this really difficult environment, what are the learnings that we can take back in person? And, and so a lot of, you know, what we learned was, um, you know, the, 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 tone. so there's the welcome when you come into the room, but then there's even the welcome and the tone setting before you even come to an event or before you log on to a webinar or any kind of virtual event. So what we were trying to do is we were trying to have a super participatory event. We knew we wanted a lot of psychological safety We want because we were experimenting. So we wanted people to feel free just to shout half-baked ideas off the top of their head. And we went into it you know, very much defining how we hope that the culture would, would emerge. And, um, and we started at the very beginning. So every, every single email that went out, we tried to make it super kind, super funny. If we made a mistake at any point, we totally would fess up to it and we're like, hey, we totally made this mistake and that's okay because we're all experimenting here. Um, you know, so there, we did a lot of things like that. Um, and then when we, when we started having the events, we, we just, we leaned hard into the chat. So if I was talking, we had 150 people, which is awesome, but it also posed a bit of a problem because now we're trying to network with 150 people. And so my solution was, you know, let's lean real hard into the chat. And, and so we would do, you know, lots of uh, warm ups and progressive participation and just, you know, really thinking about how do we get even the most introverted of introvert feeling super comfortable to to play with us. And uh, so, yeah, I I guess the you know, the quick answer is, is, you know, start thinking about how you welcome new members at the first possible point. You know, if if the very first touch they get is an invoice or receipt, what can you do to warm it up, make it more surprising, exciting, something maybe maybe you maybe you don't uh, send that receipt first and you send them a quick, you know, loom. That's uh, 30 seconds of you just saying, hey, Carol, so glad that you just joined. 
you know, just, you know, all of those things. And, and I'm sure that there are uh, some big associations and big nonprofits listening to this right now and saying, oh my gosh, we've got, you know, 10,000 new members joining every single day. We, we can't possibly do that. Well, there's some really interesting technology, I think, that will help you scale those things and still have, uh, you know, the still have an experiential com component that makes people feel like, oh, the, you know, this is a great organization. They're so warm and kind and wonderful. Yeah, to me, what I what I'm hearing is it's really about humanizing that experience. So it's, you know, not you're not just a, another email to deal with or another name in a database, but you're there's an actual person behind that, and and they have, you know, hopes and and goals for themselves that they're trying to you know achieve through joining, um, and and just ha taking a little bit more time to recognize, uh, you know, who's on the other side of that email. Uh, can be so important. Um, you talked about the participation stage where people are kind of just starting to dip their toe in. Because um, I think the, the last stage is contribute, collaborate, and lead. To me, those are the more obvious ones of, you know, the folks who are who get super involved. Um, and and then, and then they once they're involved and they have a good experience, you probably have them for life maybe not um but uh it, it feels like that that participation stage is a real kind of critical inflection it is it is so let's talk about online communities because that i think is the most public uh demonstration of what your member culture is and i am a huge advocate of highly moderated online communities and I, in, in the, what the moderator brings to an online community is the moderator mo models. They, they, models they model how to be a good online community participant. And, and so I love to see, and I've been a, a, a part of a couple of online communities where the moderators, and sometimes it's one, it's you know the owner of a company or, or the CEO, uh, or the community manager, or sometimes it's it's sort of a fleet of trained moderators. And, and what they do is they are welcoming new members and they are also, um, they're, they're raising up ideas. So let's say somebody contributed a really good post, but nobody responded. In the background, they might be going and saying, hey, hey, you know, Bob, I know you've got something to say about this. Here, here's the link, can you jump on? Um, or you know, they might wait a few days and they might say to the whole community, Hey, Mike just said this really interesting thing, and I'm I'm just going to bring it back to the forefront and and ask you guys, you know, what where are you on this? I, I think this is a really interesting thing. So, um, so the reason why I think highly moderated communities are so important is a lot of times if you've got a community, uh, an online community, new members are starting to get that digest. And they, you know, they will read that digest, and that's another, you know, cue of uh, like, oh, okay, um, you know, so and so reacted a, a little bit harshly. That that feel, it fe just feels like that was, you know, somebody maybe got slightly shamed here. I'm, I'm gonna hang back and watch a little bit more, and if it happens again, then I know it's a dangerous thing to be part of this community. The, the other the other thing is is uh, moderators can't tell when people are posting for the very first time 
and they can support them um, in a lot of different ways. You know, they can say, oh, the, you know, so glad to see you here posting. I know we've got a lot of really, you know, uh, thoughtful people here in the community who are going to answer your question. And, and, and that just, that just, it helps to, it helps new members to be validated. It helps them to be welcomed. It helps, it makes them feel good when somebody shines a light on their post or their reply back. Uh, and and lets them know that yeah you know that at like hey I'm I'm on the right track it's it's always nice to have that yeah I think that's so important because I feel like uh, at least in my experience especially for associations that have been around for a long time um, I, in, in a lot of instances in the way I've experienced that um, the online communities is that they've kind of been something that just got added on oh, well, we need to do this because, you know, it's the easy way for people to be participating, but it's kind of off in a corner. Um, nobody's really supporting it. And what I see as a real um, contrast to that is um, a lot of for-profit organizations creating communities, um, saying that they're community-focused, and actually doing uh, a much better job of really doing what you're talking about in terms of cultivating that online community and, and pulling people in. And it's just so interesting when I go to association conferences where I feel like I've been hearing this kind of gloom and doom about associations and membership and all of it. And and then on in the for-profit field, this whole like growing um field of organizations creating communities around their expertise their brand a person um so it's kind of an interesting contrast yeah that's why i am i am i'm so hot on some you know this really big opportunity for associations to to take on the role of being so one of the 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 drum that i've been beating lately is um, you know, have everybody in your association become a chief experience officer. You don't have to give them that title, but this is the mindset. I want everybody to start thinking about being a chief experience officer. And, and today I was I was writing a, an article and I and what I wanted to do is I wanted to point to some, you know, big companies, big brands, not because they're big and they have a lot of resources, but because they're well known. And so everybody, everybody could sort of say, yes, you know, this is a company that has that where everybody, you know, from from the CEO all the way down to the person that stocks the shelves. This is a company where everybody has taken on the role of chief experience officers. And so I, I thought about it and I thought, OK, you know, I, I would say Trader Joe's is one of those companies. And I would say Apple is probably one of those companies. Um, and, and then I was floundering a little bit and I came up with a couple of more examples, but one of the things that that really struck me was that for the examples that I did come up with, these folks are absolute, these companies and brands are leaders in their industry, they're leaders in their vertical, there's nobody else like them, they've set themselves apart and they've done it because not only are they offering value, the value has to be there, but they're also making sure that they offer experiences and they're empowering their staff to offer these really great experiences or motivating their staff or they're building a culture uh, that, you know, where they're celebrating that this idea of, you know, uh, customer consumer, you know, engagement. And so for, 
associations that are starting to feel like, oh my goodness, you know, in, in my, in my profession, in my industry, you know, all of my sponsors are starting to nip at my heels. And, you know, we were starting to have a lot of, a, a lot of competition. We associations are perfectly, perfectly positioned to lean into the experiential part of things. And when we do that well, there's a lot of support to say, hey, um, you know, that that really sets you apart. It sets you apart so much uh, from all of your other competition. And what's so interesting about those two examples is that really the businesses that they're in are so transactional, right? Yes. Groceries and electronics. I mean, to in, in, you know, could be the most vanilla thing at all, but then they do have, you know, it is very, a very different experience to go to a Trader Joe's than any other grocery store that I, I normally go to. Right. <laughs> so, and I was very excited when one moved in uh, to my neighborhood where we hadn't had one for a long time. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. I, so I, I've got to tell this, the story of Trader Joe's. My, um, my favorite aunt was at a Trader Joe's and she always gets this one kind of salad dressing and she went in and the salad dressing wasn't there. And so I think there was, you know, some, somebody's, you know, stocking broccoli or something. And she said, Oh, my, my favorite salad dressing. Do you happen to have any out back? And the person said, Oh no, you know, it, it wasn't selling well. And so we actually discontinued it. And I can't imagine what was on my aunt's face, but I, I'm, I'm sure she was just devastated. And that that person said, but we've got this new flavor and people are raving over it. I'm going to give you a bottle when you get to checkout. Tell them that I gave you this as a sample and they won't charge you for it and you can try it out. And, you know, we're really so sorry that that we discontinued the one that we love, but I hope you love this one, too. I can't think of another place where that would ever happen. And, it, and so, you know, there's, you know, the, the person stocking broccoli, um, you know, is a, is that is Trader Joe's chief experience officer. And, and I just, I just love that because it, you know, to me, when I say, Hey, everybody can become a CEO, it's, it's not just for the C-suite it's for, it's for all of us. And, and I like to, whenever I'm talking about membership, you know, a, a lot of times people will talk about strategies for member engagement, and then everybody will look at the membership people. No, 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 no. Engagement experiences, it's for everybody in the association. If you are in accounting, you are, you're, you're having, you know, contact with members. If you're in IT, you're having contact with members. Uh, if you're in research, of course, you're having contact with members. And so every single one of us can be a chief experience officer. Well, and I also appreciated how you described um, opportunities uh, for those kind of smaller, you, you, you had mentioned before, the big boxes that we've put volunteers in and expected them to sign up for a three-year term, a very heavy commitment. Um, but something like being a part of a team of moderators on an online community, um, you know, would be a much uh, lower lift and easier for someone to say um, yes to. Yes. Yeah. So um, when a new member, so I'm going to get back to the volunteer thing through the new member lens again. When a new member joins, one of the things they love to do is they love to see people like them. And, and so uh, I conducted a, a piece of research called the new member engagement study with my partners dynamic benchmarking and one of the things that we found compared to the first time we conducted the research, which was four years ago, 
is now, uh, so four years ago, associations did these new member webinars, like a new member welcome webinar, very static, uh, not much interaction between the members and the person giving the webinar. Sometimes they were just pre-recorded. Uh, now those have evolved so much. Uh, associations are, they're leaning into responsiveness. They're leaning into connection. I love what I'm seeing here because a lot of these, they we're calling them, um, uh, virtual onboarding events. And so new members will come on to these events and uh, a lot of the hosts are saying, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and what are your goals and why did you join? And they're taking all of that information and then uh, constructing, you know, maybe a little bit of a tour like, oh, you know, I, I, you, you talked about this, maybe you'd be interested in our salary survey or, or hey, let me, I'm going to drop a couple of links into the chat for some articles I think that you would really like. Um, but what they're also doing is they're, they're naming chat ambassadors. So maybe there's somebody who's been in the association for six months or a year. They're really excited about, you know, their first volunteer um, activity. Uh, but they can't, you know, of course, they're not going to be a board member or even a committee member yet. And they, they don't want that yet. They, they want, you know, maybe something a little bit more practical. And so we can invite them to be chat ambassadors and we will train them and we'll we'll tell them what a chat ambassador does. And so so there's, you know, a, a six month member or one year member talking to brand new members about uh, you know, welcoming them, uh, plussing up their ideas, you know, bringing things to the attention of the person who's speaking. So, so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's so many cool roles that uh, members would be delighted to do because it, it, it's fun and exciting and interesting for them. And um, that would be also really helpful for, for our organizations. Yeah, and it's so interesting. It, it makes me think of a um, program that we ran um, at the association, the last association that I worked at, and it was a, a very intensive year-long professional development for early career folks. And when we first started it, um, it was a, a coach mentor to you know one-to-many kind of model. Um, and when we first started it all the mentors that were being recruited were, you know, 30 years in the field, 25 years in the field. And over time, what we found was that the coaches who were much more successful were five to 10 years in front of the folks who, um, who were in the program, because they could still remember being new in the field and having to learn all the acronyms and having to, you know, not being sure about things. And someone 35 years in, that's a distant memory. So I love that idea of, um, you know, just six months in, you can you can contribute. You're still remembering what it was like to be a, mem a new member. You're still feeling new yourself, but you're just a little bit further ahead um, of the of the person that you're helping out at that onboarding um, and that in interactive onboarding event. Because I when I said that I um, have been doing a lot more networking uh, virtually, um, when organizations have taken what was already a poorly designed. Uh, uh, experience, learning experience in person and then plunked it online, it made it even worse. But when, when there is intention about how it's designed and how the conversations are being cultivated and, um, you know, how everyone is, is actually feeling like they're part of, part of a, a, a group versus kind of standing off and looking at something, um, it's, it's totally different. We'll be back after this quick break. 
Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. You can download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at greatsocialsector.com slash resources. And we're back. So I'm going to shift gears now, um, coming to the end here. And uh, we've been, we talked about Trader Joe's. So at the end of each conversation, I, I ask a, a random icebreaker question. I now have two boxes of random icebreaker questions that I ask. So we were talking about Trader Joe's. So that my question for you is, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Oh, uh, gosh. Okay. So I, um, I'm probably dating myself at this point, but I did a, a semester abroad in Australia. And while I was there, uh, I traveled uh, in into the bushes, they called it, you know, with a guide and, and a bunch of other kind of novice Americans. And it was, I think it was, uh, you know, earlier or right about the time that Crocodile Dundee had become super, super famous. And man, our guy leaned into that. And this guy, I oh gosh, he he found uh, he found grubs. He found all kinds of things and cooked it over the campfire. So I I, I have proudly sampled my own Australian grub. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> so what's coming up for you um, in in your work? What are you excited about? What's what's emerging in the, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, so we we've, we've been talking a lot about it and that's the that's the book. So I I took uh you know all of this research, all of these experiments that I've been doing over the last 10 years and wrote tried to pour everything that was into my brain uh out into a book and uh so the book has uh published it's out there on all of your favorite online booksellers worldwide. And uh, it's called Elevating Engagement, um, Uncommon Strategies for Creating a Thriving Member Community. It's a pretty quick, quick read. I'd, I'd say about two hours-ish. And uh, in, uh, what, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make it engaging. So there are, uh, there's lots of stories in there. And there is a, my fictional hero. Her name is Kat Taylor. She actually demonstrates uh, it, or you get to walk through every single um, stage of engagement through Kat's eyes. And what Kat is, is, is really an amalgamation of hundreds of stories that are just like hers. And so you, so you really get a sense of how, how members are feeling at every single one of these stages where they're making that so critical uh, go, no go decision to engage. And I can attest it is it is a, a, a very accessible and uh, quick read, um, but a lots and lots in there and so many actionable um, approaches uh, that that are that are built in. And I love I did love uh, following a cat on her on her journey uh, through her professional <laughs> professional life uh, through the book. So, well, thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. This is it's so delightful to talk to you. I appreciated how Amanda described the common experience of someone trying out your organization for the first time. Do they feel welcomed? Does the welcome extend beyond a quick hello? Here's your name tag at the registration desk. Think about the events you hold. 
Could you have one or two people designated to keep an eye out for newcomers and engage them in conversation and help introduce them to one or two people at the event? I also appreciated her point about the often missed opportunities of purposefully engaging and moderating your member online community. For associations, this is often one of the most immediate and obvious benefits that the association offers. I've been members of online communities and message boards that are dominated by a few frequent posters. When those who engage frequently are pretty homogenous, and the cases I'm thinking of is a couple white men who post long treaties, treatises in response to questions. And what they offer is often useful, yet it can create the impression that there isn't room for other voices. Or if you do not have time to write three to four paragraphs, you might as well not bother. The for-profit memberships I am a part of seem to all prioritize having a community manager. This person posts open-ended questions regularly, prompting and spurring group conversation. More active community managers might pay attention to who's posting for the first time and immediately respond. So when a person takes the chance to shift from lurker to engaged, they have a positive experience. They might also tag people in the community to ask how they're doing or when, or ask them to chime in when they might have a perspective to offer to an inquiry. Curating the community a little more can help intentionally create the culture that Amanda talks about and avoid having the culture determined by a few frequent posters. This could easily be a volunteer role that you prepare folks for and have a team of community managers rather than just one paid person. Thank you for listening to this episode. I appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Amanda Kaiser, her full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Natasha DeVoys of 100 Ninjas for her production support. We want to hear from you. Take a minute to give us feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.